Amen. Welcome to church. You happy to be here this morning? I'm glad you're here. If you're new to City Church, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. God bless you. Thanks for taking some time to be with us and, uh, and to sing songs, to worship Jesus. A lot of exciting stuff going on. I love the fall, all kinds of incredible things kind of launching this fall. But one of the things that we're very excited about, many of you know, structurally as a church, we have a central elder team, and then we also have campus elder teams that we're just beginning to launch at our different locations. But one individual that we've been uh, praying about and asking to consider moving into that central elder team is Pastor Mike Schnepp. You guys know Mike, who is just here. So come on out, Mike, real quick. Again, come on, give him a hand. You guys don't celebrate him. Yeah, good. So um, this, this man is not just a great friend, but a great man of God. And those of you who know him probably love him. Uh, people typically like him more than me. He's just so much nicer. And, uh, and so I, I just love this man. But we've asked him to consider jumping into that central elder team as well amongst his other responsibilities. And uh, him and his wife, Brittany, have prayed about that. They've said yes. And so here's how we do this at City Church. We give you a month just to express to us that any of the leaders, any concerns you may have about Mike. So you can email the church, contact the church. If you have some concerns, you think he's a little crazy, and you say, we don't want that guy in leadership. You know, this is your chance, really, over the next month to do that as we transition him in. We want to hear from you. So I want to pray for him today. So would you mind just stretching out your hands and praying for him? Uh, this is an incredible man of God who I'm really grateful for in my life and thankful that he's serving with me. God, thank you, Jesus, for Mike. Thank you for Brittany. Thank you for Taylor. What an incredible family that loves you, that is the real deal, that deep in their hearts, they are truly great followers of Christ. I thank you for the anointing and the power on his life uh, to minister the gospel. I thank you that uh, he is a friend and a great man of God. And Jesus, as they step into this new level of leadership as a family and new responsibility, it's more time, it's more energy. I know that it is a sacrifice, and I thank you, God, uh, for his willingness to sacrifice for your church and for its mission. I bless him, and we bless him as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, man. Amen. Amen. Also, I just want to let you know, you've heard about it every week, so the last few weeks, but this Sounds Like Home series is coming up September 25th, right? Every location, you have those boxes in the back, and uh, those are a way for you to get involved in this. I'm really excited about this, by the way. I think we have right around 30 new community groups starting because you've decided to host, so... That's awesome. That is awesome. It's very exciting, but we want to see some more. So if you're here and you say, you know, I've been thinking about how I can get involved. Here's what you need. You need a smile. You don't even need all your teeth, just a smile. You need a pulse. You need a couch of some kind, right? And some way to watch a video. It could be on a computer, on a TV, but we have a DVD or online you can watch. And the way this works is we teach on Sundays and then we gather in people's homes every week and we go through the teaching in an application that's gonna be through a video that we've done, prepared, and then through questions that are all in that box that you get when you sign up. So if you're like, you know what, we could host and we have a few friends that we might be able to get involved. This is a great place. They don't have to come to the church. They don't have to be Christians. This is a great way to invite some neighbors, some friends over your house for six weeks for a six-week community group. And that's it. That's all you're committing to is those six weeks. And so just encourage you if you're like, yeah, we're looking for a way to get involved. This is an awesome, awesome way. When you leave today at the New Haven location, it's right on the left. As you go, you can sign up and get more information about becoming a community group sounds like home host. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great? Good. I hope you're excited about that. If you have a Bible, go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 Chapter 15. I'm so excited also about our, our two-year two anniversary. Oh, time flies. Five-year anniversary that we have coming up next 
week. It's going to be great. It's going to be really fun. We got a couple of little surprises for you. Very excited about that. John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at it one more time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want to talk to you today on the subject of prayer, on the subject of prayer. And the title of the sermon, if you want to jot notes down, is The Greatest If. The Greatest If. The greatest if. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word, for an opportunity as a church to gather, to study the Bible, to open up our hearts to Jesus, to sing songs that magnify you. God, we're here because we need you. We're here because you're good. And we're here because we believe that you're available. I pray that, God, that you would put a fire in our bones today like we've never had before. And that every single one of us would never be the same by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Is prayer important to you? Is prayer a personal value of yours? Is it something that you deeply value? Most Christians would say, yes, absolutely. I really value prayer. It's something that's important. And in fact, history has proven that the human race can't seem to do without prayer. We are a praying race. Humanity is a praying people. Every different ethnicity, every corner of the world, the Muslims pray to Mecca five times a day towards Mecca. The Jews pray through their rituals and traditions. The Buddhists chant and pray through their meditations. The Hindus choose various gods to pray for, for various things. Humanity prays. I remember hearing Karl Barth say one time, a a theologian said that humanity has an incurable God sickness, an incurable God sickness, this deep personal longing to interact with God. So everybody is praying. In fact, one study found recently that 30% 30% of atheists admit to praying. I don't know who they're praying to, but they're praying. They're praying. So even the people who say they don't believe in God are still finding themselves drawn to prayer. The Bible is packed with stories of prayer, packed with incredible, amazing, miraculous stories of prayer. You go back to the beginning in Genesis where Abraham is praying for the broken city of Sodom and he's praying that God would spare the city. And it's amazing. He starts bargaining with God. And he says, God, if there's 50 righteous, would you save the city? And God says, okay, yeah, 50. He says, 45, give me 45. How about 40? Would you give me 30? And he works, he he goes in this back and forth. It's an amazing passage. And then you've got uh, Jacob wrestling with God in the night, literally physically wrestling with God. And God finally dislocates his hip. An amazing, curious story, strange story. You've got David and all the Psalms he wrote about his relationship with God. You've got Moses, who it says in the Bible, he was a man who was friends with God, who spoke as a friend face to face. Amazing, amazing. All these different illustrations of prayer. Elijah prays until it rains. He actually calls down rain from heaven. In the New Testament, Peter is in prison and the disciples and the other followers of Christ begin to pray. And as they pray, an angel is sent, opens the prison doors and Peter is set free. Amazing different stories of prayer. And if you begin to look from cover to cover in the Bible, you will find that prayer is a very consistent, very complex, very mysterious and very powerful reality. A very powerful reality. And how you pray, how you pray is directly connected to how you see God. 
how you see God. Many of us say we believe things, but prayer is the evidence of what you believe. In other words, your prayer habits show how you actually see God. I don't know if anyone has seen the old movie. I'm going way back here. And the, the old movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody remember that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Great, four of us, awesome. Me and my family, we watch it every Christmas. But let me give you the quick. It's, it's about this guy, George Bailey. He goes through all these different challenges and trials. And towards the end of the movie, he's exhausted. He's depleted all of his resources. He's in this situation that's very bad. And he finally decides it's time to pray. And he's sitting there on a bar stool, which is where many of us have first begun our prayer lives, right? He's sitting down and he says to God, he says, God, I'm not much of a praying man, but if you can help me, please help me. And God hears his prayer and sends an angel. The angel's name is Clarence. And Clarence is kind of a clumsy, awkward, uh, unattractive man. And he shows up and he says, hi, I'm Clarence. I'm your angel. And George Bailey looks at him and says, you're my angel, huh? And he says, that's right. I'm your angel. I'm here because you prayed. And he says, well, you just look like the sort of angel I'd get. Right? Like he, he, in other words, what did he just do there? He described his confidence in prayer. In other words, he believes in a God who would give him an incompetent angel. And for some of us, that's exactly how you think about God. In fact, your prayer life is evidence to what you really believe about God. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us a command. Check it out. He says this He says, Devote yourselves to prayer. With an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves, devote yourselves, devote yourselves to prayer. And what I have found in my own life, and what I have found, just being honest today, and what I have found in the lives of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of people that I've spoken to about the topic of prayer on a one-on-one basis, I have found that prayer seems to fall into the category of acceptable exaggeration in many of our minds. And so when Christians are asked, hey, do you have a prayer life? How much do you pray? We are masters at giving ambiguous answers that act as though we pray far more than we do. And so we say things like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, oh, I mean, yeah, praise the, yeah, praise the Lord. Praying, I'm praying, I'm always praying, 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 praying. I'm always, just like, you know, some things it seems in our culture are acceptable to exaggerate. Like, hey, how often do you go to the gym? (laughs) Oh, that expensive gym membership I have? Oh, pff, I go, yeah, all the time. I mean, totally, it's not just sitting there. Who would spend 100 bucks a month and not go? I mean, pff, I would never do that. Yes, I go to the gym. Or when your wife says, hey, how many Oreos did you eat? Right? This is one for me. And I'm like, a few, a few. Really, the entire sleeve is gone. Where'd they all go? Uh, it must have been the boys. My sons must have eaten them, right? Like, I mean, there's this, this acceptable exaggeration. In the same way, there's this acceptable exaggeration around prayer. And when people are asked, Christians are asked, how much do you pray? How important is prayer? We seem to have these amazing answers, but when you pull back the veneer, you find that the actual practice is strangely lacking. And we have the ability to organize church services, gather, sing songs, serve on servant teams, play instruments, all these various things. But very, 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 very few people have truly learned to pray. To pray. What's your prayer life like? You know, I can just say personally, just recently, the last month and a half, God has been speaking to me about prayer. And God has been challenging me personally to transform the way I do prayer and to increase the investment in prayer. God has been speaking to my heart that the prayer life I have is not sufficient for the level that he has for me. And I want to suggest to you today that maybe your prayer life needs a bit of an injection. Maybe your prayer practice needs some new life. What's holding you back from a greater life of prayer? 
What's holding you back? So some of us would say, uh, I don't really get it, Justin. Like, I feel like if I pray, I don't know what to say. Like, I, it's funny. I've met some of the most talkative people in the world, you know, but they're afraid to pray. It's like, well, you know how to talk. You just talk my ear off for an hour. Why don't we pray? I don't know what to say. You always know what to say. Come on, just talk. Use your words, right? And we, but we feel like, ah, it's complicated. It's weird. I'm not exactly sure how it all works. How am I supposed to say it? What am I supposed to say? Do I need to have certain words like, dearly beloved, we're gathered here? Like, what am I supposed to say? Right? Some of us, just the complexity of prayer is so intimidating that we don't pray. We don't pray. Others of us, though, it's busyness. And I think this is probably the most common reason people don't put time aside to pray, especially in our context. Where people would say, you know, I really should pray, but, you know, our baby keeps waking up in the middle of the night. I got two jobs right now. I'm, I'm working like crazy. You don't understand. My hours are nuts. It's 12-hour days. It's very difficult. Or, you know, it's just, it's just a tough time in life. I'm going back to school. I'm getting that second degree. Or I'm doing this. Or, you know, I, life's crazy. I, we're just barely making ends meet. We just don't have time. I just, I'm so busy. I just don't have time. I've got all the right reasons, and I just don't have time to pray. See, what I believe is our busyness as an excuse actually speaks of what we really believe about prayer. Because if we're so busy that we don't have time to pray, well, it tells me that you don't really believe that God hears you. And you don't fully believe that he's going to answer. That he's going to answer. What do you believe about prayer? What's your routine? See, when I read John chapter 15, verse 7, and I love this verse, when I read John chapter 15, verse 7, I see a spark. I see something beyond man-made religion. I see something beyond the routines of the normal human attempts to pursue God. There is something here that is so vibrant, something here that is so rich. Jesus is not just giving us a model for prayer, although he does that, but he's also giving us a secret to prayer, how to pray, how it really works and what it really does. And I want to see if we can pull this out today. You'll notice that he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We have to start with this idea of in him. In fact, as you gaze upon the entirety of scripture, you'll find that in him is maybe the most important and uh, oftentimes counterintuitive idea in all of the scripture. See, the Bible teaches that the secret to real effective Christian prayer is the understanding of what it means to be in him. See, God was so committed to your prayer being effective that he became a man so that as a man, he could represent all men and women. And in him, the perfect life that he lived could be attributed to us. And so Christ lives a perfect life as a representative for all people. He then dies a substitutionary death. In other words, that when he died on the cross, in the eyes of God, all who would believe in Christ were in him on the cross. And so on the cross, you died with him. Now Jesus rose from the dead and when he rose to new life, resurrection power filled his bones and you were in fact in him. And when he was seated at the right hand of the father, the place of divine power and authority where the father always hears and where the father always knows, it was in that position that you also were in him so that you as a believer in Christ could have unfettered, unbroken, perfect access to God. 
to God. Now look at the Bible. Let me show you a couple of passages of scriptures. Let me just get this in your bloodstream. Ephesians chapter two says it like this. For through him, that's Jesus, we both have, what's the next word? Access. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Through him, we both have access. When? When? Well, on Sundays from nine to 9.15. That's it. It's a tight window. No, no, no. 24 hours, seven day a week access. You have constant, unfettered access to God in Christ in him. Look what he says in First Timothy. Paul says it like this, for there is one God and one, what's that next word? Mediator who can reconcile. I know this may sound strange, so just try to stay with me. Who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, Christ Jesus. So God, fully man and fully God, Jesus lives now as a mediator, a bridge between my communication with God. Jesus said it like this, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. I wonder if the reason you don't have full joy is because you've not unlocked the secret of true, powerful prayer. That your joy may be full. What does he mean? What's this mediator? What's this access? What's this my name stuff? Here's what he's saying. Stay with me. Here's what he's saying. Because of the cross, because Jesus took the place of all who would believe in him, when you open your mouth to pray, God takes your words, transposes the signal, and then it is heard by the Father as the very words of Jesus. And when you believe that, the power for prayer is unlocked. Because the very words of Jesus are always heard by the Father. God has given you perfect, unhindered access. Think about this passage. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it w- <laughs> What? I mean, this seems like an exaggeration a bit, does it not? Does it not? Like, ask whatever you wish. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of another generation, said the Lord gives, about this passage, he said the Lord gives the abider carte blanche. He says he puts his hand, uh, he puts into his hand a signed check and permits him to fill it up as he wills. Is it possible that God has written you a blank check and that you can actually experience the fullness of his blessing and favor as you pray his kingdom upon the earth? Is it possible that the experience you currently have is only a fraction of what God would have for you to experience and the only thing that's stopping you is true, believing, consistent prayer? Is it possible you're only scratching the surface of God's best for your life? And today is a day where he kicks you out into a whole new level of the experience of a life of powerful prayer. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, wake up. Come on, go ahead and do it right now. Yell in their face. Wake up. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> wake up. God is speaking to you today. He wants your attention. He wants your attention. See, in this little verse... I want to unpack this for you today. In this little verse, John chapter 15, verse 7, the entire passage is incredible as you get into John 15. We're going to focus in today. In this little verse, what we see buried inside this verse is really the three functions, the three core functions of Christian prayer. And I'll tell you where we're going today right now. It's my desire to inspire an understanding of prayer so that we can then engage in a greater level of prayer than you've ever had in your life before. 
you've ever had in your life before. So let's dive in. And what we'll find here is not just the three functions of prayer, but we will discover what I believe is the greatest if in all the world. The greatest if in the world. So he starts with this phrase, abide in me, okay? He says, if you abide in me. Now, that word abide is a little intimidating for many of us, right? Because it's a word that, uh, you know, we don't use in our common vernacular very often, right? And so this word abide could simply mean dwell or continue or remain. If you dwell in me, if you continue, if you remain. Let me try to illustrate. For decades, researchers have tried to discover what it is that helps children grow healthy in their family. What are the dynamics that make up a healthy home? Stay with me today. What are the dynamics that make up a healthy home? And they've done all types of research on various different dynamics or, you know, variables within a home to discern how kids grow up healthy. And there are very, very many different variables. But one was surprising to researchers over the last hundred years. One small variable that improves a child's grades more than doing homework, praise the Lord, more than sports, more than participating in art. This one variable makes the child twice as likely to get A's. It makes the child uh, less likely to engage in adolescent smoking, drinking, drugs, depression, and suicide. This one variable is not their economic status. This one variable is not the parent's education. This one variable is not the neighborhood that they grew up in. The one variable that seems to impact all of these things in such a significant way, which is a bit unexpected and a bit strange, especially in the busy, crazy life we live today. The one variable that researchers have found is if that kid sits down every day with his family for dinner. Table. At the table. See, it's at the table that I find friendship. It's at the table that we converse. It's at the table that I learn to trust you, that I hear about your day, that we fall more in love with each other. It's at the table that we invest in who we are and in who we're going to become. It's at the table that we learn how to communicate and how to enjoy each other and how to make one another priority. See, what did Jesus mean when he said, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, the first function of prayer, church, and you can jot this down, the first function of prayer, when he said, if you abide in me, is that prayer is a table, the place to regularly commune with God. Prayer is a table. God wants you to learn to sit with him at the table. See, because at the table... Jesus reveals to you who you are. You may remember when the disciples asked Jesus, how am I supposed to pray? How do we pray, Jesus? He didn't say, well, begin by confessing all your sins. He didn't say, well, begin by asking God with a bunch of questions. No, 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 no. That's not where prayer begins. He said, you begin like this. Our begin at the table. Begin with family. Begin with relationship. Begin with 
our Father. This is what Jesus meant. Look at it in Revelation chapter 3 when he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is, what, this is what David discovered when he said, Life is crazy in Psalm 23, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What did these individuals understand that we have often missed? That relationship with God begins by making a daily habit to spend time and commune with him. You might say, well, Justin, how do I get a seat at the table? This is crazy. How do I get a seat at the table with God? And that's the whole point of praying in Jesus' name. Jesus gave you his seat. He said, listen, my father's sitting at the table and I'm sitting with him and I'm gonna get up and become man. I'm actually gonna become sin so that you can become righteous before the Father and you can come and you can sit down and you can commune as though you were perfect with your God. You can have unfettered, unbroken relationship. If this is true, it's the most exciting truth in the world that you can know him, that you can really know him. I wonder, you're here today, I wonder when you strip back the veneer and all the Christian answers, if you're honest with yourself, do you sit at the table much? If you're honest with yourself, do you have a real relationship with God? He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Do you know that? Do you just have a bunch of religious practices you do? Or do you know how to sit at the table with your God? Relationship. See, identity is discovered at the table. Identity, who I am. I learned that I'm loved by him. I learned that he really is good. I learned that he's adopted me into his family. That's what you learn at the table. You learn how to be thankful. Some of us would say, well, I, I, I want to do this. It sounds complex. I want to do this. How do I do it? How do I? Here's how you do it. Ready? You show up, you sit down, and you start talking. That's how you begin prayer. Show up, sit down, start talking. Make the time. Shut the TV off and make the time. Make the time for conversation. And what you'll find is that you'll begin to learn the very heart of God at the table. You'll begin to learn the very heart of God. So Jesus said, if you abide in me, that's the table, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. And here we see the second function of prayer. If the first function of prayer is a table, a table where we must sit and learn to commune with God by making time and by start talking, just begin to communicate. It's that simple. If I will begin there where I say, okay, God, I'm going to make some time. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make it a priority and I'm going to begin to talk to you. Then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, you may have never thought of this, but have you ever considered that you learned to speak only? by the words that the people around you taught you, right? When you were a little kid, you were one years old, two years old, you started mama, I started saying dada. The only words you knew were the words you heard someone else say, right? Right? I mean, this is pretty obvious, but we don't think about this. You never learned pneumotromagoscopic silicone because that was never a word mommy used, right? 
And so because mommy never used that word, you never learned it. In other words, your language was informed by the people who communicated to you. Eugene Peterson said it like this, language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. In other words, when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what he's trying to get at is he's saying, you need to let my words determine the language of your prayer. If you want your prayer to be powerful, if you want it to be effective, you must allow my words to reshape your thoughts, your heart, and your prayer. John Calvin said it like this. He said that we all refashion our sense of deity to fit our own interests and desires. How true is that? We all build, in other words, our own version of God in our minds and in our thoughts, unless through the spirit and scripture, our view of God is corrected and clarified. So in other words, there is this process that Jesus wants you to be in. He wants you to learn to sit down at the table and make time and begin relationship. This is where we worship. This is where we thank God. This is where we commune with him, where we honor him. where we wait for him, where we praise his name. All these things happen at the table. But then he says, if you want prayer to be effective, you've got to go further. You've got to allow my words to become your words and you must learn to begin to shape your prayers through the tool of my word. These are tools, I think. I don't know how to do much with tools, so it's about as far as it goes. This one looks like it cuts things. This one looks like it Pats things and scrapes things. <laughs> They're not mine. And so you take these tools and you begin to work with God. So prayer is a table, but prayer is also, and you can jot this down, a tool. The instrument to shape my heart. The instrument that shapes my heart. You might say, well, Justin, I don't understand. How does this work? I don't, you know, I like to pray and I'm a very spiritual person, but reading the Bible is kind of like, like, I don't really do that very much. Like a little catchphrase here and there is fine, but I don't like read the Bible. Well, friend, what I'm telling you is you'll never experience effective prayer. You will never experience powerful and effective prayer until you fall in love with his words, until you allow his words to inform your language in prayer. In other words, how does this work? Let me try to be clear. So you sit down with God and you're struggling, right? Maybe you're here and you're struggling with anxiety. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with fear. And you say, no matter what I do, no matter the pills I take, no matter me, no matter my, uh, car, you know, uh, discussions I have with friends, no matter how many counseling sessions, I can't seem to break it. I can't seem to shake that anxiety or that fear. Well, what happens is when you take that fear to God and you say, God, I am afraid. I'm afraid of failing this class. I'm afraid of my parents rejecting me. I'm afraid of losing this friend. I'm afraid of whatever it might be. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of the future. And he says to you in his word, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you begin to pray that truth back to him. And you say, Father, I believe that you are my God. I believe that you are with me. I believe that right now you're strengthening me. You're protecting me. You're upholding me. All of a sudden, the fear that dominated your life begins to dissolve under the power of his language spoken back to him in faith. Come on, you don't know this mystery. And if you were to learn it, friend, your world would explode. Prayer would become power. And so you say, I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. I'm so anxious about everything. Well, there's a promise. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all your human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm tempted, and I feel like it's too much for me, and I'm going to break my promise, and I'm so scared. Well, no temptation is overtaking you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Well, I'm 
feeling attacked. I feel like everything's coming against me. Well, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 tells you the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, friend. There's a promise for every problem. And when you find them and begin to pray them, God reshapes your heart to look like his and you get free. It's a tool. But we don't use the tool and we don't sit at the table. And then we wonder why our prayers aren't answered. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. This is coming alive for somebody right now. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then there's a third function of prayer that becomes power. There's a third function of prayer that is amazing. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. What an audacious statement. Here's what Jesus is sure of. He's sure that if you just take time at the table, He's sure that if you just take time with his word and allow it shape your heart like a tool, he's sure that if you do that, your heart will change, your desires will change, and you will align your soul with God's will. And when you pray, you're no longer asking for lollipops and Lamborghinis. Now you're praying the kingdom of God into the earth because you've been transformed by the greatest if. You've been transformed. And so this third function of prayer comes alive and you're able to move forward. Ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Let me try to illustrate. World War I, amazing time in history. I love reading and studying history. Amazing time in history. The weaponry of the human race advanced massively during World War I. Bombs and guns were created to kill people in greater number than ever before in the history of the human race. And so war changed. And they found quickly that the old tactics of warfare no longer worked. And so one side began digging trenches. And then another side began digging trenches, right? And they would dive into the trench, They jumped down into the trench, and after they were in the trench, they would fire from the trenches at their opponent, and eventually it became really a stalemate, where one side couldn't advance, the other side couldn't advance. As soon as someone picked up their head, they'd get shot by the other side, and so there was this massive chasm, they called it no man's land, right? And they'd set up barbed wire, and the two would remain in their trenches, and the entire western front of the war during World War I was just stopped for days, weeks, months, and years, and nothing could move forward until... A great invention to modern warfare came to pass where people realized that if this is going to change, we need a new weapon. We need a tank. Oh, come this way, little buddy. Oh, this thing actually shoots. We won't do that today, but we need a tank. (laughs) BBs, it actually hurts. I shot my wife last night by accident. We need a tank that can blast through. One scholar said it like this. He said it was the weapon designed for one simple task, crossing the killing zone between trench lines and breaking into enemy defenses. In other words, what he was saying is there was a divide. Oh, don't miss this. There was a divide that was impossible to breach except through the tank. What I'm telling you today is that there is a divide that is impossible to breach. It's the blessings of God and the brokenness of earth. And these two things are separated. And the only thing that can can connect them again, the only thing that can call down the fullness of God's blessing into the reality of a broken earth, the only thing is the power of believers' prayer. So prayer is a table. Prayer is a tool. And prayer is a tank. It's God's plan for breakthrough. God 
God's plan for breakthrough. In other words, God's plan to see breakthrough on the earth is that you would pray for his will. You would pray for your mom to come to faith and she would open her eyes and she would come to faith. You would pray for your neighbors. You would pray for healing. You would pray for prosperity. You would pray for provision. You would pray for joy. You would pray for New Haven. You would pray for Hartford. And as you sat at the table and as you were reshaped by the tool of his word, your prayers would become power and everything would change. Come on. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you because your heart's been transformed, because your life's been made new. Now you can ask and it will be done for you. So how did Elijah call down rain? He prayed. How did Peter get free from prison? The people of God prayed. I remember reading one scholar said that failure to ask, oh, this is an incredible idea. Failure to ask deprives us of what God would have otherwise given us. Failure to ask. How did Jesus beat death on the cross? You might think, well, I don't know. I mean, he was a, he prayed. Look at what Hebrews chapter five tells us. It tells us that during the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Wow, he prayed, he prayed. What power, all things are possible to him who believes. Tim Keller, another preacher said, prayer is awe, intimacy, and struggle, yet it is the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or life-altering than prayer. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. See, prayer is the greatest relationship. That's the table. It's the greatest relationship producing the greatest growth. That's the tool that God does in my heart, advancing the greatest purpose. That's the tank that moves forward the work of God. And so what we see is that God is doing a work on the earth through believers, prayer, and it all hangs on the greatest if. If you will pray. Oh, yeah, I'm busy. I got a lot to go. I got a, you know, I'm got a lot to do. I, you know, I just, you know, I just don't really have time. You know, I'm, I'm, I got time to exercise. I got time to go on a date. I got time to watch TV. I, I've got time. I, you know, I've got a lot of things going on. If, if you will pray, here's a truth that God has been working in my own heart. Let me try to get it across to you. You can jot it down. If you will pray, God's reality will become your reality. If you will pray, God's reality will become your, in other words, you'll start to know him in relationship. That's God's reality. God's reality is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is relationship. If you begin to pray at the table, you'll start to learn what the family's like. You'll start to learn relationship. What does that mean? It means you take time. You carve out that time and you start talking. And you start thanking God. There's no mystery here. Like, what are the magic words? No, 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 no magic words. In, in fact, the more honest you can be, the better off your prayer is. Just be honest and start thanking him for things. That's the table. And then your reality becomes shaped by his word. And rather than seeing God as some distant being, or rather than seeing God as far away, or seeing God as angry at you, or all these false things about God, you start to reshape your world when you start to learn his word. And the promises of God become a reality in your soul, and now reality of who God is is more tangible in your actual experience. And then you start 
declaring his truth, praying his kingdom to come. And people who are far from God are all of a sudden interested in Jesus. And barriers that could not be crossed any other way, all of a sudden the doors swing open. Because God is advancing through the no man's land of a broken world and conquering the brokenness of human hearts through the prayers of his saints. Why would God choose the sovereign ruler of the world, choose to entrust humanity with such a great responsibility as prayer? Well, I don't know. I don't. It's a mystery. But he has. If you will pray. If you will pray. If you will pray. Would you stand your feet with me this morning? If you will pray. You know, like I said, I, I do feel that many of us are experts at exaggerating our own prayerfulness. And I want to just talk real frank with you for a minute, real straight, okay? If you're here today, and if you're honest, you don't have any habit of prayer in your life. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to encourage you that now's the time to begin. You might say, Justin, it's kind of like distracting. I can't focus. I know that. I, I get it. I think I have ADHD, BC, FD. I got it all, all right? So if you can't focus, you're in good company, all right? Seriously, it's okay. I remember it was, for me, as I began praying, five minutes was just like an eternity. And then it became 10 minutes, and then 15, and then 20. And I began to learn the secret of believing prayer as I fought for it. There's a promise for this, by the way. It's a good tool for your heart. God promises in the scripture, you will seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. In other words, if you give your half-hearted at best, then you won't find him. But if you give your very best, there's a guarantee that he will be found by you. A guarantee. So here's my challenge. If you're here today and you say, honestly, I don't have any habit of prayer in my life. Here's my challenge. And I want to encourage you to take it. You, here's the challenge. You ready? For 30 days, 30 minutes every day. For 30 days, starting today, 30 minutes every day. 30 minutes alone in prayer with God. 30 minutes. You say, I don't have 30 minutes. I can guarantee that you can find it. You can find it. It might mean changing your schedule. It might mean shifting things around. 30 minutes for the next 30 days in prayer. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I do pray. I, I, I do take time to pray. Well, I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your prayer, increase it. So maybe you take 30 minutes. Maybe you take an hour. Maybe you take two hours every day. Whatever your habit is, I want to encourage you to increase it for the next 30 days. I feel that right now in my spirit church that God is doing something in our church. And right now, he is inviting us to a greater degree of prayer. And as we pray with greater direction, with greater focus, with greater passion, and with greater faith, we will see his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven like we've never seen before. If, if, if you pray. I want to urge you, if you don't have any prayer habit, 30 minutes for the next 30 days. If you do have a prayer habit, increase what you're already doing. Increase what you're... Would you... Would you just even right now make a decision to say, all right, all right, I'm in. I, it's been too long. I've been playing the game for so long and pretending like I have a prayer. It's, it's been, I'm ready. I want to do this. I want to really jump in. Where do I start? Well, of course, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. He gives us the Lord's Prayer, and that's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother section. We've done a series for six weeks on the Lord's Prayer. You can look it up. It's called Our Father. It's on our website and everything. But I just want to give you a real practical thing. 
If you need to break up your prayer time, maybe give 10 minutes for each. That's a good start. 10 minutes for the table. In other words, you take 10 minutes and you just fellowship with God. You sing songs to Him. You praise Him. You make a list of 15 things you're thankful for. And you out loud say thank you to Him for those things. Take 10 minutes at the table. And then after you've taken some time at the table, you've thanked him, you've surrendered to him, you've said, God, I want to know you, you've invited him into your day, you begin with that, and then take 10 minutes to do the tool, to learn some Bible verses that you can pray back to God about your areas of struggle. So you say, you know, I really struggle with anxiety, I really struggle with pride, I really struggle with doubt, whatever your questions may be, there's a Bible verse, there's a hundred Bible verses for you, and as you begin to pray those verses back to God, he will begin to shape your heart in prayer. And so you begin to say, God, I believe that this is true about you. And so I ask you for it. And you pray those things back to him. And then take the last 10 minutes to petition God, to ask him for specific things, ask him for his kingdom to come, for blessing, for favor, for help. And as you do that, you will cultivate a heart that knows God. Just you close your eyes for a second? Just close your eyes all across the room right now. The spirit of Jesus is drawing you right now. And there's a question. Will you call upon him? Not for 90 minutes at a church service alone, but in your daily habits of life. Will you call upon him? Will you throw off every excuse? Will you throw off the sin or the pride that would keep you? And would you even right now make a choice to say, Justin, I want to go further. I want to go deeper. I want to pray like I've never prayed before. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm ready. I want to make that 30-day, 30-minute challenge. I want to do it. I want to do that for 30 days. I want to commit to that. Or you're saying, you know, I already have a prayer life, but I want to increase it over the next month. I want to increase it. If that's you and you're saying, I'm ready, I want to do this, would you just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender? So that's me. Just keep them up for a minute. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the power of your presence in this room. God, we're calling out to you right now. We're saying that we want to learn to be a people who call upon the Lord. We want to learn to be a people who pray. God, I pray, teach us the secret of the table. God, I pray, teach us the secret of the tool of your word and prayer. God, I pray, teach us the secret of the tank to advance the mission of God across the no man's land of a broken world. God, I pray, light our hearts on fire with the power of prayer as we meditate upon your truth. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Father, I'm asking right now that you put upon our church a great spirit of prayer, a great passion for prayer. Come, God, even as we make this commitment to you and step out in faith to say we want more of you in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it up to God together.